Life can be great. Family and friends. If you had holidays, we just had a holiday. Who, who had a cookout? Had a cookout, good time together, and had people over. Or we can go traveling. Um, Kathy told me I'm never going to live down my slamming Duncan, Oklahoma last time I taught. So we, we did not go to Duncan, Oklahoma. We went to Davis, Oklahoma. It starts with a D. So we went, we wanted to find a place where we go ride bikes. Actually, she talked me into zip lining. That's me as a zip line. Um, that, was, that was an experience. It was, a, it was a lot of work for a few seconds of, of thrill, but it was fun. <laughs> and dancing. Uh, this is something I gave my wife uh, dance lessons for Christmas, and so we've been learning swing and, and uh, rumba and roomba, and one of them's a vacuum cleaner and one of them's a dance. <laughs> so uh, that's me. I'm dressed as an uh, Army Air Force's lieutenant colonel. We went to USO-style dance. That's actually my grandfather was, uh, wore that type of uniform. Don't know exactly what it was. We don't have the original. And then there's retirement. I'm 61 this, in next week, and uh, it's not something that's happened to me yet. Some of you, it may have already happened to. And where I work, we've got this uh, thing you can track, you know, how ready you are for retirement. So I'm sitting there playing with numbers, you know, your percentage of your current salary and retirement and how it is. And, and so I managed to go from 38% to 127% just by playing with numbers. Isn't that great? <laughs> So I can either feel really poor and unprepared, or I can feel really rich. But I bring that up because of this. Bad things happen to people. And on March 8th, what is it like to turn on the TV and learn you lost your savings to an alleged swindler? And it did happen. And you think, what are you talking about? Well, I'm not going to name any names because he hasn't been convicted, but let me tell you. On March 8th, the SEC filed suit against a North Texas financial advisor, alleged, quote, alleging all had participated in a long-running scheme to defraud investors and had misappropriated millions of dollars or used investors' funds to make Ponzi payments. Now, you think that's a small amount, $19.6 million from approximately 60 senior citizens. And all advisor assets were placed in receivership by the court. This is a big deal. And actually, when we found out about it, we couldn't sleep that night because this guy had put on these events, you know, where, where you'd go to the Plaza Theater and show patriotic stuff. It was very Christian, very patriotic. And it was apparently a scam from first start to finish. April 7th, the financial advisor was in jail awaiting trial. April 23rd, the court allowed the receiver to store, sell, or otherwise dispose of assets. In other words, try to get as much money back as possible for the investors. And as of June 27th, how long ago was that? Two weeks. Proof of claim packets were mailed to investors. So in other words, three months, $19.6 million, you have no idea how much of it's coming back. Kind of scary, isn't it? It's so awful and it's so sudden, and it happened to people. Hopefully nobody in this room. But I know of one Christ Chapel person who was an investor. It happened to Job. Now, how many of you think we're going to talk about employment? <laughs> Just asking. <laughs> Just asking. All right, I need to move on. I know I have a time, so I've got 45 minutes, so I need to use my time well. This is my, the verse I, I wanted to use here. It says, And Job said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, how many of you have heard that verse? Now, everybody should. The last verse, the last part, the next verse is the one that really is important. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. He didn't say that once, folks. He said it twice. He says it again in the next chapter. So let's go on. So where does Job fit? Well, in the middle part of the Old Testament, the first part is the history books. The middle part is the experience, what I call the experience books, and the last part is the prophetic books. The last time I taught, we taught on Isaiah. It was 66 chapters, 
Somebody said that's too much, so we're going to do Job. It's 42 chapters, so I'm actually giving you a discount. <laughs> so consider yourselves lucky. So I call the, those are the kind of the heart books, and I'll give you all five of them. First, Job is the first one. It's the humbling of self to God's sovereignty. The Psalms are of new life in God. I'm not going to do Psalms, okay? Um, Proverbs, wisdom for daily living. That's what Proverbs is all about. You know, how do you live under the law? And then Ecclesiastes, which is one of my favorite books, I thought about teaching that one, which is the key to the meaning of life. Kind of important. A lot of people need that message today, like everybody. And Song of Solomon, the joy and responsibility of relationships. It's not just marital relationships, it's just relationships too. But notice the starting point. Job sets our expectations about God. What do we expect? Do we have a contract with God? Like people have a contract with that financial advisor. Do you have a contract with God? Is there an agreement? Do you have this thing that if you do this, God does this, and if you do this, God does that? I bet everyone in this room is like me, that in your heart sings a melody. No, in your heart <laughs> is a contract, is an expectation. Think about it. You have it. I have it. And I'm going to teach you that it's not true. But I still have it. I have to fight it. And Job and his friends have it in spades. So how does the book fit together? Well, first, believers must trust in God's sovereignty and grace. Job divides into four sections. The first is the prologue, where it's Job is the most righteous man on earth. Now, how many of you have heard teaching people, they teach the first couple of chapters of Job, and they talk about suffering and how it happens and all that stuff. You know, you get that. The message of the first couple of chapters, in my opinion, is not that. The message is Job is the most righteous man alive on earth at that time. Do you hear that? There is no one more righteous than Job. It's not the suffering thing is a totally different animal. The issue is Job is the most righteous man on earth. And you, the readers, get to know that. Job's three friends, three, notice that? I can spell. Job's three friends, they don't know that because they buy into the contract that we buy into. And you're going to see that. Next section is the dialogue. This is where the action is. You want to have some light reading? Read this. I mean, it's very interesting, but read it. Read Job's friend's comments and think, how much of that do you believe? I mean, seriously. And you'll find, you're sitting there going, yeah, Elphaz, you're right, Bildad, put it on him so far, hit him again. You know, because that's where it is. So Job is accused of being guilty while Job is saying, I'm not, I'm innocent. And then there's the post-dialogue. God asserts his sovereignty and Job humbles himself. And then the epilogue where God vindicates Job, then doubly blesses his later life. All right, so let's go on. Most righteous man on earth, that's who Job is. He's a righteous man. He's an incredibly wealthy man. It lists all of his camels and all the donkeys and all the things he has. And just think in terms of, well, where I was helping a friend do some electrical work at his house. He had recently retired and he had a Lexus. And I said, do retirees all have to have Lexus cars? Is that part of the deal? And he said, no, a Mercedes or a BMW is okay. <laughs> so, you know, I like my Camry. It's okay but they've turned it into a sports car, so I may have to do something like that. But he was very wealthy. He had incredibly close family. I mean, we, we have hurts in our family, to be honest with you. One of, our, one of our sons hasn't spoken to us in years, and it's just a, a constant pain. It never goes away. Um, and, but his family was very close, and he looked out for their spiritual welf welfare. He did all sorts of things. I just said that. But there was a heavenly perspective that was unknown to Job, and that is that Satan had an attack on God. It was, it was an attack that Satan was doing against God. And he said, basically he was saying that people serve you, God, only for personal gain or protection. I remember being told by somebody when I was young in the faith, he said, oh, did God tell me? This was his outreach. This was his evangelism, that he gives 10% to the church, and that's why he's so rich. Is there a contract there? You hear that contract? It had a little subtle contract. So if you give 9.5%, you're toast. <coughs> and that's what Satan says. People are only serving you, God, because 
you're going to make them rich. And there are churches in this town you can go to, and they'll give you that message if that's the one you want. Then people only worship you, God, because you bribe them. So it's kind of the same thing. And God says, have you considered Job? And God allows a test case. His name is Job. Now, you're down on earth and you're Job, minding your own business. You have no idea that the forces of the universe just got focused on you. You know, when you were a kid, you know, did you get the little, mic the little uh, magnifying glass and go out and cook ants? <laughs> I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I'm sure some of the guys did. <laughs> oh, boy, it's going to be fun. Watch the ant explode. Bad day for the ant. But it was the ant's fault because the ant was born an ant. If the ant hadn't done that, it wouldn't have happened. Just keep that in mind. The, you know, you think, you got to realize I am nuts. <laughs> Just ask her. Okay, so Satan's attack on Job. First, he loses all of his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his camels, and ten children. Ten children. And we lost one, but ten children. Now, in a few hours on one day, in the morning, Job was joyous and wealthy. He gets up. What a great day. Got some Christian music on the radio. All right, maybe he's listening to got his ear things in. And in the evening, he's grieving and poor. You can't comprehend that. Even the people that lost investment, I mean, it's not like somebody ran them out of their house that day. Job's response is he tears his clothes and shaves his head. I mean, it's kind of like what happened to me. <laughs> but, it, but he was in grief because he'd lost everything. So he's, he has lost everything, but he worships. He praises the Lord. He said, that's that verse. He, Job, said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Job because we're going to spend more time in the, with the friends until I run out of time and then we'll just shoot through the rest of it. So Satan's attack. Now he didn't lose his health. So Job's health is now shattered to the point of death. How would you like your, you know, some of you have health issues. I know, I see the prayer request. You know, when Kathy and I get really tired, her response is to cry. I mean, you know, you're out working in the heat, you know, you're doing all this stuff, and she's just, like, emotional. Last night she was sobbing, she was so tired. And she said, and she, I was holding her and hugging her, and she said, well, how do you respond? I said, I just feel like I'm about to die. <laughs> now, seriously, I feel like I could lay down and I'm gone. I mean, that's how I do, but I don't, generally don't cry. I just, I just feel like, oh, I'm going to die, and boy, Kathy's going to be really mad at me. All right. So it's totally humiliating poverty and illness. He's sitting with beggars outside the city. He's sitting on piles of dung ashes. That's how there was their disposal system. They would burn poop. Okay. And he was scraping sores with broken pottery. I had a boil in an uncomfortable spot, and the doctor gave me antibiotics, and it finally went away. And I can't imagine getting an old pot shirt and scraping that. <laughs> just, it just didn't seem like it was the best method. But if you're trying to get it cleaned out, you don't have antibiotics and all that stuff. And he's sitting there. It had hurt. There probably wasn't a thing on his body that didn't hurt. His response was, his wife's advice was to curse God and die. I just thought that was really helpful. <laughs> you know, you're thinking, thanks, honey. I appreciate that. Love you. Um, so his wife said, verse 9, chapter 2, verse 9, the wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Then he said to her, now, and listen to this, and ladies, don't be offended. You speak as one of the foolish, as one of the foolish women speaks. And it wasn't saying she was. He's just saying that there are people like that, and you're starting to talk like them. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? And this is the second time he said it. And all this Job did not sin with his lips. So Job rejected it. We accept the good from God. How many of you accept good from God? You're on it, right? Yeah, okay, I got that. How many of you accept trouble from God? People ask me, how are you doing? And I said, I'm doing all right. I said, I'm, so I'm doing well. No, so I'm blessed. You know, people say, how are you doing? I said, I'm blessed. And I said, but sometimes I don't like the blessings because they really stink. 
They're stinky blessings. All right, so the critical fact. Now his, his comforters show up. Look in there. Afterward, you know, he's, his friends show up. Job's three friends heard about his adversity. They come upon him. That's verse 11. So he's got three good friends. They show up. And God proclaimed Job the most righteous man on earth. You've got to remember that. Don't forget that. Job passed two tests. On one day, he lost his wealth and his children. Then he lost his health to the point of death. And he did not curse God, but in fact praised him. So Job's friend mourned his horrible plight. Job was incredibly disfigured. Incredibly disfigured. Did I say he was disfigured? I mean, he was really ugly. They wept, they tore their clothes and threw their dust. How many, threw dust on How many of you would have a reaction if one of your friends walked up and looked at you and went, and start screaming and tearing their clothes and throw dust on their head? I'll give you an example. I didn't show you a picture. Kathy and I are working outside putting some bricks down because of our sidewalk, okay? And she is really passionate about being, things being right. And our son said, you got to put mortar down as the base for these bricks. And she didn't like that there was a dip. So she was going to redo every one of them. And I'm exhausted. It's hot. And mortar is dusty. And I watched as she worked as the gray mustache formed. And, and, I, and she sent me the picture, told me I could use it, but it really, you don't want to see it. And she <laughs> took a picture of herself, and her eyes are hollowed out. You know that thousand-mile stare of soldiers that have been in combat? It's just this. And that, that's, that's it. And I watched it, and I knew that if I would said, you need to go wash your face, anywhere through this process, she would have gone over the edge. But that's what happened to Job. That's what happened to Job. People walked up and looked at him and said, you look terrible. Try that, guys, with your wife. So they sat in silence with him for a week. They just sat there. So then Job speaks, chapter 3. He says, I wish I'd never been born. How many, come on, think about it. How many of you have thought, I wish I'd never been born? I mean, I have. I wish I died at birth. I wish I could die right now. That's how he felt. Like, take me, God, get this over with. If you want me dead, kill me. Well, that pushed his friends over the edge. They're going to fix it. They gave the simple wrong answer, and that's the law of retribution. And that's what we're going to talk about. Law of retribution is a wonderful thing. That's the contract we all think we have with God. All suffering is punishment for sin, right? Premise number one. Premise number two, Job is suffering. What is the conclusion? Job is a sinner and must repent. There it is. Very simple. Now, the converse is also true in our contract we have with God. All blessing is a result of righteous living or giving 10%. We, have, we, are, we, are, we are giving 10% or we're living righteously, therefore we're going to be blessed. That's the contract that we have in our mind. But it's not true. It's a lie. Now, Job's friends decided to convince Job to repent, so let's get going. We have round one. Eliphaz versus Job. He says, stop resenting God's discipline. Look with me in chapter 4. And see if I can read this from a distance. Here we go. 7 and 9. We're just going to go quickly. He says, remember, now this is, think about this in the terms of, have you thought this before? Remember now, whoever perished being innocent? Or where were the upright destroyed? According to what I have seen, those who plow iniquity and those who sow trouble harvest it. By the breath of God they perish, and by the blast of his anger they come to an end. And then he jumps over, look in verse, chapter 5, verse 18. Another verse says, For he, that's God, inflicts pain and gives relief. He wounds and his hands also heal. Notice how he's trying to help him out, Job. Job, you're a sinner, and, and you've been afflicted. He'll heal. Just repent. So Job says... I'm innocent. My grief is justified. Look what he says in chapter 6, verse 10. He says, But it is still my consolation. I rejoice in unsparing pain. Think about that one. That I have not denied the words of the Holy One. And then chapter 7, verses 5 through 7. And they talk. There's so much here. It's so much fun. I'm just giving you some, some highlights. He said, My flesh is clothed with worm, clothed with worms, and a crust of dirt. And let me tell you something, folks. When he says he is covered with worms, he is covered with worms. Okay, this is not a hyperbole. 
Maybe he was using the pot sherds to knock the worms off. My skin hardens and runs. My days are swifter than a weaver shuttle and come to an end without hope. Remember that my life is but breath. My eye will not see, will not again see good. Does he have hope? No. Never going to see good. I'm grieving and it's justified. I've lost everything and it's bad. Well, then his other friend decides to help out. How to be a good friend? He says, repent. Stop impugning God's judgment. Look at this. Verse 8. Then Bildad the Shuhite. By the way, do you know who the shortest man in the Bible is? Bildad the Shuhite. That comes without a charge. (laughs) And if you didn't get it, come see me. I will step you through it. Okay. Then Bildad the Shuhite answered, How long will you say these things? And the words of your mouth, a mighty wind. Oh, that's always helpful. Sarcasm goes works wonders with my wife. I don't know about y'all's. Does God pervert justice? The answer is no. Or does the Almighty pervert what is right? No. Then he says this, If your son sins against him, then he delivered them into the power of their transgression. If you would seek God and implore the compassion of the Almighty, if you are pure and upright, surely now he would rouse himself before you and restore your righteous estate. In other words, repent. God's just. Your sons, your kids did something. But we already know from chapter 1 and 2, right? His kids didn't do anything worth what happened. Job says, I'm innocent. God is guilty of malpractice. Now check this out. You know, he gets kind of close to the edge. Look in verse chapter 9, verses 16 and 17. If I called and he answered me, I could not believe that he was listening to my voice. Now how many of you would feel that way? I called and God answered. You know, there are times when God answered our prayer. It is really, really cool. Look in 32 to 33. For he is not a man as I am, that I may answer him, that we may go to court together. There is no umpire between us who may lay his hand upon us both. Do you know what he's asking? He's saying, I want want to take God to court. And I need a judge. Because remember, there's a contract, right? What happens when somebody violates a contract? You have to go to court, right? Well, there's a contract between Job and, and God. And God broke it. And Job's saying, I want to sue. But who can I sue? Because he's God. Not fair. It's cheating to be a God and to break contracts. Chapter 10, verse 7. According to your knowledge, I am indeed not guilty, and yet there is no deliverance from your hand. So he's saying, God, you know I'm innocent. You are guilty of malpractice. Try it sometime. All right. Now Zophar, the other friend, shows up. Zophar says, repent. Stop talking and accept God's discipline. I always like that. In other words, shut up. Then Zophar, the Nathamite, said, Shall a multitude of words go unanswered, and a talkative man be acquitted? In other words, you have a big mouth, Job. You're just so full of it. Shall your boast silence men, and shall you scoff and none rebuke? For you have said, My teaching is pure, and I am innocent in your eyes. But would that God might speak and open his lips against you and show you the secrets of wisdom? For sound wisdom has two sides. Know then that God forgets a part of an iniquity. In other words, you're not even getting punished for half of what you've done. Boy, they sure know a lot, don't they? Have we done that? I know I've done that. You know, there's a lot of stuff that... There's a lot of stuff I know I don't know. And there's a lot of stuff now I knew that I, in the past, I thought I knew, and I know now that I didn't. And I opened my mouth, and I was a Eliphaz and a Beldad and a Zophar. And I just, forgive me, Father, for that attitude. All right, last verse is verse 11. For he knows false men, and he sees iniquity without investigating. So God knows. All right, so now that's Zophar. Job says, you stop talking. I like that. Tell me to shut up. You shut up. Okay. I mean, if you say that, yes, no, yes, no. 
You stop talking. I am innocent. I need my day in God's court. So look what he says here in, in chapter 13, verses 2 to 5. Uh, let's see where I am. 13, 2 to 5. Okay. What do you know? What you know, I also know. I'm not inferior to you, but I would speak to the Almighty. I desire to argue with God. But you smear with lies. You are worthless physicians. I mean, hopefully there's not too many doctors in here who are worthless physicians. Or that you would be completely silent and then it would become your wisdom. Now think about verse 5. I love it. Or that you would be completely silent and that it, in other words, silence, would become your wisdom. In other words, shut up and people might think you're smart. That's what he's talking about. So I'm going to move ahead a little bit. So he's just saying, I want my day in God's court. That's what I want. I want to be able to do, to talk about it. But look, verse 15, I don't want to miss it. In the middle of all of it, he says, Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Nevertheless, I will argue my ways before him. You, you see that tension? He, there, the contract has been violated, but he trusts God. That is absolutely amazing to me. With everything he's lost, feeling like he's had promises broken, he steps back and he says, But I trust you, God. But I still want to talk about it. So the duel in the desert continues. That's round one. His friends can't stand it. And you're going to notice that there's, if you read this yourself, you're going to notice a tone change. You know, they're kind of conciliatory in round one. Round two, they're ticked off. They're really mad. So they're going to come back. Now they're going to say, you're guilty. The wicked face a lifetime of torment. Look in verse 15, or chapter 15. All right. For your guilt teaches your mouth. And you choose the language of the crafty. Your own mouth condemns you and not I. And your own lips testify. Boy, is he like putting the wood to him. You open your mouth, Job, and everybody knows you're guilty. Look at verse 20 and 34. The wicked men rise in pain all his days, and numbered are years stored up for the ruthless. For the company of the godless is barren, verse 34, and fire consumes the tents of the corrupt. How many of you wondered about that? Do the, do the bad things happen to bad people all the time, every time? When you go above the speed limit, do you get stopped immediately? Huh? No. So where's he getting that? Job says, I'm innocent. I need a heavenly intercessor. Kind of getting Job's, getting his drift there, isn't he? Look where he says in um, 16 and 7 through, or starting in 16 through 21. My face is flushed from weeping, and deep darkness is on my eyelids, though there is no violence in my hands, and my prayer is pure. O earth, do not cover my blood, and let there be no resting place for my cry. Even now, behold, my witness is in heaven, and my advocate is on high. My friends are my scoffers. My eye weeps to God. Oh, that a man might plead with God as a man his neighbor. What does he want? God, I want to talk about this. Let's, can we talk? Something doesn't add up. He's pleading. So calls them miserable comforters. That's not the goal of friendship. You don't want to be the miserable comforter. So now we're going to go to Bildad. Bildad says, guilty, wicked men receive relentless misfortune. It's just going to come after you totally relentless. Look, chapter 18. He said, indeed, the light of the wicked goes out, starting in verse 5. And the flame of his fire gives no light. The light in his tent is dark and his lamp goes out above us. His vigorous stride, his stride is shortened and his own scheme brings him down. So it's just the same thing. The contract says if you do bad things, bad things happen. If you do good things, good things happen. That's the contract. You get that? That's in your heart. It's in my heart all the way down at the roots. Job says, I'm innocent. God's going to vindicate me. I don't care what you guys say. Know then that God has wronged me and has closed his net around me. And there's some really funny interchanges in there, but we don't have time to go through it. Zophar versus Joab. Joab. Job, not Joab. Zophar says, you're guilty. Wicked men will not enjoy their wealth. I love this one. I'm like, yeah, really? 
Look in verse 4 of chapter 20. Do you not know this from old, from the establishment of man on earth, that the triumphing of the wicked is short and the joy of the godless is momentary? Seriously? Have y'all seen that? No. There's a lot of rich, evil people out there. Where is he getting that? Job says, you're wrong. The wicked live and die prosperous. Look in chapter 21, verse 7. Job finally addresses what they're saying. Verse 7, why do the wicked still live? Continue on. Also become very powerful. Their descendants are established with them in their sight and their offspring before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear and the rod of God is not on them. In other words, God lets them get away with all sorts of stuff. What are you talking about? You know, this. where do you get this, guys? So he's, they're, they're having this argument. Now, do you think God is aware? Oh, yeah. God listens. The duel in the desert continues. Now we're going to get to Eliphaz. He says, repent. You're guilty of many sins. <laughs> he's, just, he's just really just freaking out. He says, it's because, look in chapter 22, verse 4. He says, because of your reverence that he reproves you. Do you think there's a little bit of sarcasm there? It's because you're so godly he's reproving you. Again, sarcasm, just, just being ugly. That he enters into judgment against. Is not your wickedness great and your iniquities without end? For you have taken pledges of your brothers without cause and stripped men naked. To the weary you have given no water to drink and from the hungry you have withheld bread. That is exactly opposite of Job. So they're sitting there trying to convince him, but they've moved from convincing him to just attacking him. They're angry at him. Job says, I'm innocent and I'm not going to be silent. He says, I'm not going to stop talking. Then we're going to move to Bildad. Bildad said, God is, far, God is far above and you're nothing. Look in chapter 25, verses 2 to 3. Bildad decides to be godly and spiritual. Then Bildad, the Shuhite, who hasn't figured out how short he is, answered, Dominion and awe belong to him who establishes peace in his heights. Is there any number to his troops? And upon whom does his light not rise? There is nobody bigger than God, and you're nothing, Job. And Job says, your knowledge of God is minuscule. Punishment for sin is right, but I'm innocent, and God knows this. So he comes back in verse 26. Then Job responded, what help you are to the weak? How have you saved the arm without strength? In other words, how have you helped somebody who's weak? You know, I put in a concrete post for my hammock. All right, I put in this post, and I filled it with concrete. I was so proud. Put the hammock on, and it bent. The, ha the post bent. Well, now it's got 200 pounds of concrete in the ground. And I've got a bent post. Oh, this is really good, and it's hot, and I'm really tired, and I was wanting to celebrate, not start over. I ended up having to winch that thing out of the hole after digging a trench, and so now I had a bigger hole. So it's like helping the weak, weak, and I'm sitting here pulling on this thinking, I'm not strong enough to lift this. And that's what he's talking about here. How have you saved the arm without strength? Now, maybe if I got five guys come over, we could have gotten it out. Maybe. But I, we did get it out. I mean, the winch in me. What counsel, this is verse 3, what counsel have you given to one without wisdom? What helpful insight have you abundantly provided? To whom have you uttered these words? Oh, he's just, he's a little bit of sarcasm going back, right? He's going give to it, give it back a little bit. So he said, God knows this. We'll go on. Then Elihu speaks up. Now, Elihu is an interesting fellow. He doesn't get rebuked by God. He's this young guy. He's like number four. And he's listening. But he's the young guy. He's life stage three. <laughs> and in that culture, life stage three, you don't speak. You don't speak to life stage six, that's for sure. All right? Well, he can't stand it anymore. So he decides he's going to speak. So he's representing youth, and he said, Fear God because he's just, sovereign, and mighty. I mean, this guy says things like, I'm telling you, I have all the wisdom. It's like we were in a, we, had a, we picked up a young lady back when our kids were in school, and she had to be a teenager, and she told us that she knows everything about World War II. I thought that was pretty impressive to be that young and know everything about World War II. Um, I 
loved, studied World War II all my life, and I know I don't know everything about World War II. But that's kind of the thing that comes with youth. You look back and you go, oh, I wish I wasn't so stupid when I was a youth. Well, he is. And I like Job's response. You ready for Job's response? Nothing. <laughs> so lesson here, when life stage three comes up and says something and you go, you're life stage three, aren't you? <laughs> you're thinking that to yourself. You think that to yourself. All right, now, I, don't tell everybody. Every life stage three person is going to come pound on me. I haven't gotten over Duncan, Oklahoma yet. All right. Just, just, just smile and love them, okay? Just love them. So that's what Job did as much as he could with all the pain. So now, so God speaks. Look, now jump ahead because you, you, you can't miss this. Verse 31, chapter 31, verse 25. This is where Job really lays it out. He says, oh, that I had one to hear me. Behold, here is my signature. It's pretty clear. Let the Almighty answer me and the indictment which my adversary has written. So he is saying, God must come answer. I have filed suit against God. And so God's onslaught against Job was illegal. And Job, is, Job subpoenaed God for questioning. Now, how would you like to be the constable serving that one? Instead, God subpoenaed Job. Go to verse chapter 38. All right. Then Job, then the, excuse me, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? In other words, Who's the life stage one dude here? <laughs> Matter of fact, you're like life stage minus 500,000. Now, then he says this, and I just like, love this. Now, gird up your loins. In other words, pull up your pants, big boy, like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. In other words, put your big boy pants on. All right, so God subpoenaed Job. God's demand, Job must answer. God speaks from the storm. You know, that's kind of, y'all notice the storm come through last night? You know, how many of you went out and stood under a tree? Okay, just checking. Because, you know, those lightning bolts are not healthy. All right, is Job qualified to question God? We'll find out. God's questions take Job to school. So God tells, asks, plays 40 questions. Not really 40, but it's a, you know what I'm talking about, to teach Job. Well, the first thing is God established the dawn and used it for good. Did you do that, Job? God sees and knows things that are inconceivable to man. God created the orbit and rotation of the earth. Did you do that, Job? Did you fling those things? God controls the variety of the seasons and the storms. God wrote the math behind the universe. That's pretty cool. You know, Einstein wanted to figure out the, the formula that drove the whole universe after relativity. That's what he worked on, from what I understand, is he, wanted to, he knew, he was convinced there was a formula that basically answered it all. And I think he was right, but I don't think he can comprehend it. I don't think any of us can. God controls the weather to the specific lightning bolts. God provides for all animals from the greatest to the lowest. God supervises the procreation of all animals. He tames the wild animals. God gave each animal its special talent. God gives the birds flight and related skills like vision and migration. Lesson number one, Job, you're ignorant of creation. Notice how God appeals to creation. What is under attack in our world constantly today? Creation. When you were in school, it was millions of years in evolution. Why was that the point of attack? Because it is crucial that God be seen as the creator. Ignorance disqualifies him from condemning the, cre the creator. Look in chapter 40, verse 1 to 2. Then the Lord said to Job, Will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? Let him who reproves God answer. In other words, Tell me, educate me. You know, I just can't imagine that conversation. And oh, by the way, I think the friends could hear. 
So the friends who had been condemning Job see the whirlwind show up and start speaking to God, and God is raking Job over the coals. Now, if you're the friends, you're doing one of two things going, oh my, God is talking to Job. Or you're sitting there going, yeah, 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 put it on him. Yeah, God's doing it. Yeah, go God, go God. You know, and you're thinking that. You, you don't know how they're reacting. And then creation is, is orderly and not out of control. But Job admits his insignificance. He said in verse 3, he said, Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I'm insignificant. What can I reply to you? I lay my hand on my mouth. Once I have spoken, I will not answer even twice, and I will add nothing more. In other words, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. So he cannot answer. He's humbled, but he's not repentant. So now we're going to go to lesson two. Job, you're not God's equal. So now we're going to assume God's duty. So it's, uh, God, you want to be God for a day? Who would like to be God for a day? You hear that all the time. If I was God for the day or king for the day, right? It's kind of cool thinking you're God for the day. Oh, my goodness. How would you like to be God for the day and only have the same horsepower upstairs you have right now? It would be boom, short out really fast. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm and said, Now gird up your loins like man. In other words, put your big boy pants on, and I'll ask you, and you will instruct me. Will you really annul my judgment? Will you condemn me that you may be justified, or that you have an arm like God, and you can, and can you thunder with a voice like his? So in other words, do you have my power? Let's do it, baby. Let's get it on. So he gives a couple of examples. Control the two most, the earth's most powerful creatures. First, subdue the mighty behemoth. People talk about what this is, what this is and I think it is the, what we would call the dinosaur, what we used to call the brontosaurus, because you look at the description. There's nothing like it. You know, those, were those animals on the ark? Yeah, of course they were. They weren't that size. I mean, if you're going to repopulate the earth, you bring a young one, right? It makes no sense to bring, you bring the young small. Most dinosaurs are pretty small anyway. So you bring this young thunder lizard, he goes out, and he procreates. There's, they're running around in Job's day, apparently. And you're going to think, I'm, you might, some of you may think I'm crazy, but I think the evidence is, there's plenty of evidence. Next one, he says, this guy is really scary, and that is the Leviathan. Some people think, I used to think it was a crocodile, but he talks about how he can boil the ocean with his breath. This is a fire-breathing something. And there's a lot of stories about, you know, knights and armor, you know, how in the Middle Ages, you know, they're fighting the dragons, and even on I Love Lucy, remember the, the dragon, you know? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. But the Leviathan was mighty and it was vicious. Well, these animals are gone, at least we know of now, but apparently in Job's day they were around. And look at 41 verse 8. You'll love this. I love this verse. Lay your hand on him. Remember the battle. You will not do it again. In other words, fighting the Leviathan is not habit forming. It is a cool thing. So these examples are these animals are examples of power. So Job repents. Church forty two. Then Job answered the Lord, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without without knowledge? Therefore I have declared that which I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear now and I will speak and I will ask you and you instruct me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear. By now my ear sees you. Therefore I retract, I repent in dust and ashes. God is suffering. sovereign. Suffering was not an error. His accusations were wrong. He had no right to question God. I retract, I repent in dust and ashes. There is no contract, folks. Job gets it. Then he vindicates him before his friends. Look here in verse 7. It came about after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to Elphaz, the Timonite, My wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Now, therefore, take yourselves seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves and my servant Job will pray for you. For I will accept him so that I may not do with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. And so they did it. So were they vindicated? Yeah, they turned right around and did it. They heard. So all of a sudden, 
It went from getting God to, uh-oh, uh-oh. You mean I'm in trouble? You mean that, that, that magnifying glass is hovering right above me, but the focal point isn't quite there? Yeah, you got it. You got it, boys. Yes, ma'am. He was not accepting God's sovereignty. He was not accepting God's sovereign control. Yes. He was, he was not accepting that God, that he was, he was elevating himself up with God. And it was that contract. It was that contract that's in his heart, that's in our heart, that's the issue. Um, who said that? I didn't hear. I don't know. I don't know. If you, you read his response and he's giving you the answer and what he's, what he's talking about is, he's, he is there, there isn't probably an element of pride there. Pride's not specifically mentioned, but it's that contract of, of he wanted to be equal with God and have somebody judge between him and God because God had broken the promise. God had broken the contract. Now, is there pride involved? I'm sure. I'm sure there is. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Not going to argue with that. So God is angry with the three friends. Job is the intercessor, and God restores Job with double blessings. Now, if his wife is sitting there, she's had 10 kids, and God says, hey, by the way, you're going to have 20 more. <laughs> how about if she says, how about if I die? <laughs> but he did. God gave back double blessings, and... Um, let's give some, how can we live this? Suffering a perspective, we'll go through this real quickly. Some suffering is from sin. That does happen. There's no question about that. But Christian suffering comes with being a Christ follower. Luke 9, 23 says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Take up his cross does not mean pick up a purse or pick up your bag. Cross is an instrument of execution. Produces endurance and maturity, as James 1, 2 to 4 says, and gives an opportunity for reward. You know, sometimes people think they lose their salvation or never had it. No, you just maybe lose rewards. 1 Peter 4.19 says, Therefore, those who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to the faithful creator in doing what is right. All right. How can we live this? Life's issues. This is the point of the book. No one has the right to accuse God. God is not obligated to us. There is no law of retribution. It's not. He's not obligated. And trust me, I feel it. Every day. When I think about our son and that, it hurts. But there's not an obligation. No lifestyle brings guaranteed blessing. Do you hear that? No lifestyle brings guaranteed punishment. God's going to sort it out in the end. He absolutely will do that. But in this life, we don't have that guarantee. God's ways are perfect and incomprehensible. In other words, we can't understand it. If he explained it to us, you wouldn't get it. I wouldn't get it. Man must trust God. We have no right to know why. Now, if he tells you why, what a blessing that is. But we have no right to know why. Because you look back in your life and you think of all the pain and all the hurt, because that's where we really get us. We don't really think about the blessings, but the pain is what really bites into our heart. But you think about, we don't have the right to know why. And God doesn't have to tell us. We just have to trust. Now, how to be a good friend? I told Don it was about friendship. How would you like to have three friends that show up and do that to you? <laughs> so I wanted to spend the time there so you could kind of feel it. Because as you read it, you can tell they're really getting angry at Job. They're moving from being helpful to just want to kick him. Have you ever wanted to just kick somebody? Kick some sense into them? You know, maybe another driver? Use your car as a battering ram? Well... Time with people must be a priority. Listen, look at this verse in verse 11, last of the book. Then all his brothers and all his sisters and all who had known him before came to him, and they ate bread with him and in his, ha in his house, and they consoled and comforted him for all the adversities that the Lord had brought on him. And each one gave him one piece of money and each a ring of gold. We skipped that verse. You heard that verse before? We just jump right over that baby. So if somebody, you have a friend, go see him. 
share a meal together. Now, how hard is that? I like to eat. Console and comfort them. That's that. You want to be a friend. That, that's, a, that's a huge thing right there. And they helped him get started again. Because he had nothing. He didn't have any gold. It was all gone. Now, depth of relationships take loving effort. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of you, um, over time, so I'm going to, this is it, JC, I'm done. How many of you have been in a small group or a relationship and it was all surface? I have. You go, how's it going? Oh, it's going good. It's going good. You know, tell me what, what can I pray for? Oh, oh, I got a project at work. Can you pray for that? And you're sitting there going, oh, yeah, you always have a project at work. I can write that. Why don't we mail it? Why don't you just mail it to me? But you want to have a deeper relationship with somebody? Let me tell you how. Listen. Probe. What's that? In other words, hear what they're saying and just ask questions. Push in. Just probe in. Now, don't, don't bulldoze in. There's a difference between probing and a bulldozer. And then retreat. That's important. Back off. Stop asking probing questions. No, don't. And that's, I'm not saying be nosy. I'm just saying as they give you stuff, ask questions. That's what they should have done to Job. Tell me, Job, why do you feel that way? Tell me more. Why do you, what, is there something there? But they didn't do that. They were telling Job. They were giving Job the answer. Then retreat. And you're, you're going to be shocked by the last one. Pray. Say, God, give me wisdom. What, what was George telling me with that? You know, and is there, is there something there that I'm not seeing? Is there a way I can help him? Because is he hurting? Everybody in this room has pain. And it's all about relationships. Time with people must be a priority. So, yeah, Job's about friendship. It's about how do we relate to God, what our expectations are with God, but also how we can relate to each other. It's a great example. So, lovingly repeat often. Let's pray. Dear Father, I just thank you for the book of Job. Thank you for the wonderful example. Thank you that this man suffered the loss of so much to teach us what our expectations of you are. And Father, that, that contract that we have in our heart, help us to put it aside and replace it with faith and trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.